Hello, this is Comeback, this is Connor, and this is episode 173. My guest today is Hugh Nguyen. Hugh is initially from Vietnam and was the president of the Toastmasters Club up in Hanoi. He has also been involved in hospitality under the hospitable Hanoian. We're going to talk today about a bit about Vietnam, Toastmasters and hospitality, and I'm excited to introduce my guest. Hugh, welcome to Comeback. How are you today? Hi, Connor. Thank you for having me. I'm doing very well. Staying in Hanoi at the moment. Yeah, sure. How is the situation in Hanoi? It's quite crazy, right? Yes, it's quite crazy. I've been at home for a month. I remember the last day I went out was when I when I went to the supermarket and then I I bought some ingredients to make some cheesecake for my father's birthday. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was the very last time that I was out the street. And I already had in have in mind another day that I'm going out, which is like next month because I'm donating blood. And surprisingly, it's one of the activities that you are actually allowed to go on to go outside to go actually to the hospital to do that yeah nice so it's like a day out right you get to actually see the outside world yes it's like it's a planned day out <laughs> that's crazy and also we were chatting just before we recorded your english name used to be kelly right yes kenny ah <laughs> uh, kenny yeah ah uh, cool but- yeah, but people tease me, so they call me Kelly. Yeah. Ah, they call you Kelly. Yeah, Kelly first name is a girl's name, but obviously a boy can have it as his surname, which is mine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sweet. No, that's that's great, Hugh. Do you mind telling me a little bit about your background? Are you from Hanoi? Did you grow up there? Yes, I I was born in Hanoi, and so I grew up here. Like every everybody in, in Vietnam, we have a hometown. Normally, it's somewhere outside of the city or the suburb of some big city. So it's very nice because sometimes you spend a weekday in the city and sometimes you visit your hometown in the weekend. And my hometown is actually around two hours away from Hanoi, so it's a little bit far away. So yeah, I spent my childhood and growing up in Hanoi. And what was that like? Was it quite busy compared to small areas did you enjoy it how did you find growing up in Hanoi wow this is a good reflection time <laughs> when I when I thought about Hanoi yes it's very busy because it's the capital of capital city of, of Vietnam and compared to Ho Chi Minh City to where you live now it's a bit more formal and people are different and the cuisine is different uh, but let's say if I have to pick one thing that is special about Hanoi is actually the cuisine because first of all we have four distinctive seasons so the food is also different for every season and Hanoi is very special to me because when I grew up I had many sort of accidents that happened in Hanoi even when I was born the doctor told me that I was I was born prematurely two months earlier so the, doc- the doctor told me that um, told my, my family that he, that he was too weak, so he couldn't live. I mean, I think he couldn't survive, he couldn't live. And I only weighed 1.4 kilograms, which is like one or two pounds or something, like a small kitten. So that was like the first accident that I ever faced in my life. And, and because I was very weak, so I, the hospital used to be my daily place. It, I, I went there with my mom very often that even the security guy, he remember our faces and he's like, okay. And he's often say hi and, and say stuff like, oh, hi, you come here again to treat some sort of your, of your, of your boy coughing, coughing and stuff. So yeah, I am. And then when I grew up, we lived near the center of Hanoi and my parents often went to the lake to play badminton. And mm. one time I just fell into one Kim Lake. Whoa. I almost died of uh, drowning and then just some of the accidents. But to me, Hanoi is very, it's a very special place. And I especially love the cuisine here in Hanoi. Yeah, the, the cuisine is amazing. Um, can I ask you, Hugh, um, what was that like then? How old were you when you fell into Huan Kim Lake? I think I was maybe five or six. 
Wow. Do, do you remember it well? Yes, uh, somehow, <laughs> because like, I didn't, I didn't go far, you know, I just fell on the, the riverside. Yeah. And then the, my, my mom, she, she ran away and she called the, the police to just get, um, to have, get me out of the lake. And then I, I often joke that when the police was trying to help me, I felt like something under the lake also had lifted me up. Mm. And I often make jokes that it was a like 100 or 1,000 years old turtle, but now the turtle passed away already. So I often joke that that turtle is a very sort of religious animal and somehow it helped me get out of the lake. So I, I, I felt very honored about, about that. Yeah, so that's how I often make jokes about that, that time. incident. Yeah, have you been religious ever since that, do you think? Do you think that helped you? No, I'm not a religious person. <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, no, that is, you know, fascinating in that regard. And, you know, I thought I'd address that with regards to what you mentioned. Um, do you have any... I think, Sorry, Karen. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that somehow that, that incident made me really scared of the water. And when, when, I, when, when we went to on vacation to the beaches and stuff, I, I was really afraid of water and I didn't dare to... To take um to go to the beach, even just like um some water, if you spray some water on my body, I felt very scared. Yeah, I think that affected me affected me later on, and yeah, and even I had some a lot of accident that involved water. Yeah, how how do you deal with water now when you go to a beach or anywhere? Are you okay with water now? Yes, I love water now. Somehow um. I grew up as a very adventurous person. I, I wanted to try adventurous sports and outdoor activities. So I, I, had no, I have no issue with water now. Yeah. What was it that made you make the change? How did you become unafraid of water? Mm, I think, I think, you know, in, in Vietnam, I'm not sure how about, where, where do you come from, by the way? I come from the UK, Manchester. Did you get, oh, Manchester. Oh, I, I studied in, in, um, in Scunthorpe, close to Sheffield. Oh, did and you? Also Manchester, oh, wow. Yeah. I went to university in Sheffield. Yeah, Sheffield Hallam, Sheffield yeah. University. Sheffield Hallam. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I was there for a year for A-level. So, yeah, coming back to your question, I think that, you know, in Vietnam, we had this sort of guilty pleasure. It's when, when we are at the beach and when the waves uh, hit closer to, to the shore, then we try to jump, jump up. You know, like we, we try to jump up the waves. So when the waves um, get closer to us, so that is some, that is an activity that I really enjoy. So I guess that thanks to that activity, I, I was really excited to go to the beach and jumping waves. Mm. So for that, I get familiar with the water. Right. I see that was the turning point. Okay, nice you. Can you tell me a bit about the UK? Why did you study in Scunthorpe? Sure. I did my first year of college in Scunthorpe, my AS, uh, my A-level. And I chose Scunthorpe because it, it wasn't too expensive. And the school that I chose was John Legard College, and it was a public college. And... Before I came to the UK, I wanted to do psychology because my initial dream was to become a doctor because I got sick very often. So I told myself that I would become a doctor um, to, to have five, like maybe a medi me medicine to cure all the disease. And something I often told my, my mom and my friends as well is that I also wanted to be a doctor because I can give injections back to people to revenge. Because when I was a kid, I, people injected me a lot, right? So yeah. I wanted to be a doctor to do that, to revenge by giving injections to other people. But then I didn't, you know, I didn't do well in, in chemistry. I, I'm sorry, biology. I did well in chemistry, but I didn't do well in biology. So you, you couldn't, you cannot be a doctor if you don't do well in those subjects. But then I thought to myself, I, I still, I wanted to be another kind of doctor to have people. So let's say... I told myself that let's be a psychologist. Let's go to the UK, study A-level where I can actually pick three subjects, three to five subjects that I really like 
instead of studying a lot of subjects in Vietnam in university. So I went to the UK, I picked up psychology and sociology at the same time. And with that, mm, dreams of becoming a psychologist. That's, that's why I, I decided to go to, to go to the UK. Okay, and okay. where did you take your psychology journey from there? Yes, my psychology journey was a very short journey because like my, my very first few lessons, I thought that I could actually learn something practical. For example, I can learn to read minds. I know um, how to interpret your actions into a thought in your head, for example. But then my very first few lessons, I learned, it's very, very heavy. I learned some heavy knowledge about this psychologist research, theory and stuff, and I learned about how the monkey's brain function. Mm. So, and then I thought to myself, and I have to admit that as an international student, the, the amount of knowledge that I learned in psychology classes were very heavy and I couldn't catch up 100% with the, that class. And plus, I didn't really feel that there is psychology brought a meaning to my life. So that is when I enjoyed some activities and I switched from psychology to hospitality. And I'm not sure if you wanted me to tell you about those activities specifically, then I can start later. Um, yeah, yeah, sure, you can go. Um, okay, we're going to talk about hospitality anyway. So yeah, if you don't mind, do you mind expanding more on your hospitality journey? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, because psychology didn't bring really bring any meaning to my life at that time. And then I remember attending a charity walk for the British Heart Foundation. Basically, I had to walk across a bridge called Humber Bridge. I had to walk across that bridge as many times as possible. And I had to fundraise for people with heart disease. And at that time, luckily, I became the top fundraiser for the school. And I won that highest fundraiser award. And then when I came home, I reflected back on that event. I felt like I really enjoy talking with people, like sharing with them my stories and ask them to fundraise. And I really enjoy joining some meaningful events. So that is my first reflection. And my second reflection, I thought about even before I went to the UK, I really enjoy cooking. And I found myself collecting cookbooks, even Jimmy Oliver, Jimmy Oliver and Gordon Ramsay. Yes. I collected many of their cookbooks, right? And then I made many Western food. And then I often bring to, I often brought them to my neighbor's house, even though, because I, I live really near, to my neighbors and I brought the food to my neighbor's home and then I asked them to eat and, and give me some feedback even though sometimes the food was good but sometimes they were bad and somehow because they were my neighbors and my relatives even though the food was bad but they couldn't directly give me feedback like hey this food was really bad somehow they smile and say okay hey it's okay it's not too bad right but I knew it was bad but somehow I kept bringing them the food and made them eat my food and made them give me feedback. So when I thought about that, it, my second reflection was, I love cooking and I love bringing food and sharing happiness with other people. And when I connected those two reflections, I came up with a question, is there something that, is there something I can do that involves cooking, culinary, meaningful events and talking with people? First, I thought about a chef, but then maybe if I am a chef, then most of the time I will be in the kitchen. I will be cooking, right? I can still go out and talk with the guests in the restaurant, but most of the time I will be in the kitchen. But when I Google more, I suddenly found hospitality. It's where you can do, it's like, it's basically a business major, but it's a business major with a touch of service. It involves many aspects. I can do, I can open a restaurant, work with food and beverages. I, I can also do meaningful events. I can talk to the guests and I can talk to, I mean, if I'm the restaurant manager, I can talk to the guests and I can also talk with the kitchen people and I can have some influence on the food. So it's like having the best of both worlds where I can do events, meaningful events and working with food at the same time. So that's when I decided, okay, 
let's go. I mean, let's go to Switzerland and pursue a major in hospitality. That is how I did a major switch from psychology to hospitality. Okay. By having those two reflections. Yeah. Sure. No, I appreciate those reflections. It's great to have an insight and a backstory. And I think you did it both in depth but succinctly. So thank you for that. How long did you spend in Switzerland? I spent two semesters in Switzerland, which would maybe about around eight months. Sure. Yeah. Eight months. And how did you find that overall experience studying hospitality in a place like Switzerland, which is quite famed for that area? Yeah. Switzerland, it's first of all, my, my first word that the first word that pops in my mind when it when you ask about Switzerland, it's actually expensive. <laughs> yeah, I have heard that. <laughs> yeah. You, you was there also? No, well, I've been to visit, but I've had friends who've studied there, uh, three or four good friends who've all studied there, and they all say the same thing, very expensive. <laughs> yeah, it's very expensive, the first phrase. The second phrase is nature, beautiful nature. It's super beautiful. And the third thing about Switzerland when it comes to hospitality is that they teach very, we learn from the very basic. My first year we learned, we focus on food and beverages. So we learn stuff like the differences between tea and coffee, um, different kinds of cheese, and also different sort of way of serving food, like flambeing and stuff. And my second year, my second semester, we learn about rooms division, which we learn about the operations of hotel the structure of hotel and how the rooms division, the role of the rooms division in a hotel. And then after each semester, we were required to do an internship where I went to, when I went back to Vietnam to did a two month first ever internship in food and beverage. And then I went to Dubai for six months and then to Thailand and then I returned to Switzerland for my second semester of study. And then I went to the US. So. I would say it's a pretty, even though I, I was there for only two years, it was a very holistic education where I learned the fundamentals of hospitality at school and then I got the opportunity to apply that in my internship. So it was very helpful and practical and holistic education. Yeah. Did you have a favorite aspect of that? Was it the traveling, the hands-on approach? Did you have a favorite aspect of your hospitality career in those two years, two semesters? Yes, my, I would say my first favorite aspect is that I get to apply what I've learned immediately while I was at school. For example, in my first year, I got to learn the cost control subject, which basically teaches you to, to do the pricings for a menu. And then we learn about the management method and food serving methods. And at the end of the school year, we had to organize a gala dinner for the whole, for not the whole school, but around 50 or 70 guests. So I got to apply all the knowledge that I learned in class immediately to the end of the school year by organizing that gala dinner. So that is the first aspect that I really love about my studies in Switzerland. And then also I, every year they organize this sort of international recruitment forums where they took the, the students to the career fair and then we got to engage with more than 100 recruiters around the world, not just hotels, but also cruise lines and resorts and travel companies, many, many sort of types of companies in the hospitality industry. So that was the first time that I felt, somehow felt the pressure of getting a job in the profession, professional world. And I sort of learned how to crap a CV and how to speak in front of people and how to apply, how to stand out and apply for a job. So it's very practical in a way that they give us the opportunity to practice at a higher level. I mean, at a place with higher stress level. It's not just doing something comfortable in school, but it's also about getting yourself out there and talk with, talking with professional industry people to get a job. Yeah. So 
Yeah, so I get to practice as many levels, as different stress levels. Yeah, that equips you for the real life as well. It's not just studying, it also benefits you when you finish university and have to get a job afterwards. It's useful in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. And with that, Hugh, before I ask you about life after university, can I ask you about the travelling aspect? I believe you mentioned Dubai, Thailand and US. Is that correct? You spent time there during your studies? Yes, also in Vietnam. Oh, yeah, of course, in Vietnam. How did you find traveling to so many different countries and tasting, well, I say tasting as a pun, but also experiencing other cultures over your studying period away from the classroom? How did you find that experience? I, if I have to sum up my experience, those experiences in the world, then I would say grateful because you know when I approach hospitality I just had that question in mind where is there anything I can do that involves food and beverages and doing meaningful events so it's just cuisine and events right and the more I study hospitality I realized that this industry is very broad people often mentioning lodging accommodation and also tourism and also food and beverages, cuisine. People often mention those three areas mainly because those three are the most, the, the broadest areas in hospitality. But somehow there are many secondary sectors in hospitality like um, luxury travel or retail or information technology or stuff like consulting, education and business law. And the more internships I, I did in those countries, I felt like, somehow I felt like the more fit I am for the industry. And also my passion is not, I'm, I mean, it's not just I'm, I'm potential in doing events and cuisine, but I'm also potential in, in sales or in marketing in talking with people. My first internship in Dubai, I was a food and beverage intern. So basically I work in a, in a restaurant as a waiter. And then the, the very first internship in Vietnam, I did the same thing, but only two months, right? And then the manager told me, you did very well. You came, you was a very disciplined person. You came, you finished your job and you left home. You never made a mistake, but you worked like a robot because you finish everything. You only finishing everything. You didn't talk to the guests, even though you work in a VIP restaurant. I was in a VIP restaurant in Vietnam. And then I remember that feedback. And when I was in Dubai, I tried to be more humane. I, instead of just approaching you, for example, even imagine you are in a restaurant and then I came to you and I asked, hey, Connor, are you ready to order? That is often like the phrase that you can receive when you, when you come to a cafe or restaurant in Vietnam. But in Dubai, I remember my previous manager feedback. So I actually spent time having a conversation with the guests. I asked, um, okay, where are you come from? And then I introduced myself, I'm from Hanoi, Vietnam, have you been there? Did you know anything about the cuisine? And then I talk about the food, the, the dish of the day. And by doing that, I felt like I connect with the guests on a more personal level. And when we, we had this sort of connection, they are more open. And when I recommend them any dishes per day, they, they were happy to order or to try that food. And somehow I realized that I have this ability of connecting with people and of introducing a dish or a special drink of the day. And then eventually that led to a higher sales revenue in the restaurant. And then even the training manager, after that internship, he told me that you should be in front office also because the way you talk with the guests and the way you sell the product is very convincing and somehow people, the guests feel safe and they trust you and they will buy your product. Maybe it's a dish in the restaurant or a room upgrade in a hotel. So yeah, that's, a, that's just an example of like being in the second internship in Dubai in food and beverage taught me that, okay, I'm not just potential of opening a restaurant or something, but I also have a, ten, a potential in sales and talking with customers. So that is something that I felt really grateful for going through 
the more I, the more internships that I do, the more fit that I feel for the industry and the more potentials that I realize in myself. Yeah, of course. And with that... Am I speaking, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm speaking like... Let me know if I'm speaking into too much details or too long. So no. maybe you should just... No, absolutely fine. We have no time limits at all. I, I like hearing this, so thank you very much for sharing. I'm sure the listeners will get a lot of insight from that. With that, Hugh, do you mind telling me about life after your studies? Um, did you go into hospitality once you had graduated? What was life like afterwards? Yeah, <laughs> so um, basically I haven't graduated. And I would consider myself as a non-traditional student. After my second year, semester, second semester in Switzerland, I went to the US and then it, I was on an exchange visitor visa, right? And because of that exchange visa, I am required to return to Vietnam for at least two years before going back to the US. So I returned to Vietnam in 2017. And that's when I joined Toastmaster. And just this year, I applied to a university in Las Vegas. And I am going there by maybe the end of this year, beginning of next year, to complete my bachelor degree. But in those four, four years, yeah, 2017 to now, four years, I've done jobs still in the hospitality industry. Like my most recent job, I. I sell Christmas trees in Hanoi. Actually, I work for a, a company in Melbourne, but remotely in Hanoi. So I have with the Christmas tree sales there. And then another aspect that I really love doing is mentoring. So I was a mentor for some hospitality camps and, and yeah, I work also for an Airbnb company. So basically when I submit my my application to the U.S. college, I realized that I went through 11 jobs with just one job, not hospitality related. It was an uh, English assistant for an English center, but the rest somehow still is in hospitality. So I spent my time experiencing different aspects, different scopes of hospitality to, to first know the operations and know what it is like doing other stuff in hospitality and also see if I'm skilled or I am potential in some other areas besides cuisine. Okay, I see. And do you mind telling me more about the hospitable Hanoian? What is that? Yeah. So um, it just, first of all, the name is, it has really, it has no special meaning for the name, but I felt like Hanoian because I was born in Hanoi and I'm very proud of being Hanoian and a Vietnamese in general. And hospitable, it's some, you know, it's from hospitality. It basically means it's a reminder and a practice at the same time because somehow it reminds me to be, to be friendly and to welcome everybody with an open heart, with open hands and an open mind. Mm. And I came up with that name and basically this project is like, when I thought about myself, at a very young age, I loved going to different seminars and events because I wanted, I knew that I wanted to study abroad. And I went to so many seminars that my mother, she nicknamed me Hill Seminar. Even sometimes, even, you know, even sometimes when I go out with friends or I mean, maybe I, I went to a party or something. And my mom asked me, hey, where are you going? And I just told her, I'm going to a seminar. And then she never asked a, a single question. She never asked me, okay, what time will you be back? Just knowing that, okay, he's going to a seminar is enough for her. Right, I see. Yeah. Okay, that's so, yeah, <laughs> so this is another nickname that I have. But when I felt like, okay, I'm in Hanoi, the big city, and I have, I have very easy access to events and to many opportunities, whether it's volunteer or um, a special event of the embassy or some cultural events, for example. So I felt like I'm very lucky compared to other kids, let's say in the central of Vietnam or in other places of small cities where they don't get to go to many events. And then I thought to myself, maybe I should do something to 
to pass on the torch. I should do something to share with, with, the, with other kids and children who are not as fortunate as I am. And I came up with the Hospital Hanuin because I think that whenever I know something, I can share something. So I would call this project, first it started off as a personal project about lifestyle and service practice. So I, this is a space for me to share what I have learned, what I have discovered by attending those events in Hanoi and in other places in Vietnam. And it's also a space for me to practice one of my core values, which is service, being of service to other people. So let's say if I go to a webinar or, I mean, sorry, if I go to an event that teaches me how to write a CV, then I will do some CV feedback for other people. So it's a personal lifestyle project about different service acts that I would do to help people around me, whether it is sharing some knowledge that I learned from a webinar or stuff like donating blood in which I do in a very um, bi-monthly bi or quarter basis. So it's a collection of, of the small service acts that I do and how I inspire others to do that. So yeah, that is how, that is what am I doing with the Hospital Bohanoin project. And in the future, where I am returning to my study in Vegas, I wanted to, to let's say, expand that project into a community project where I invite people to actually use storytelling and some sort of arts like photography or uh, interactive activities to raise awareness about the hospitality industry. I wanted to actually organize a art exhibition where people like, like you and other people who haven't heard about hospitality or people who only think hospitality as cuisine, accommodation, and tourism. But in fact, it has much more, it, it has a broader scope. So I wanted to do first a community art project to raise more awareness about hospitality. And then I wanted to also empower the the, the youngsters in Vietnam who are interested in hospitality, let's say maybe they can join a conference to learn about the industry, the career opportunities, and also they can imagine some call to action to improve the industry in Vietnam. So that's how I'm planning to expand the project in the future into a community project. Okay, excellent. Thank you for sharing that, Hugh. I think we've covered the hospitality side of things now. Um, we've gone through that and I will ask you at the end of the conversation a bit more about Las Vegas. However, in the meantime, can we talk about Toastmasters? How did you start out with Toastmasters? And what exactly is it for people who are listening, who aren't aware of what Toastmasters is? Sure. I joined Toastmasters when I returned to the US and I basically joined because at that time I had a dream. I wanted to speak on the stage of TED I wanted to, 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 to say, okay, maybe I am having this hospitable Hanoi project about hospitality, where we can be more human instead of being robotic. And I thought to myself, okay, maybe in the future I could be a TEDx speaker. So I thought to myself, to be a TEDx speaker, I have to be confident. I have to have a good public speaking skill. So that's when I went on Facebook and then I found Hanoi Speakers Toastmaster, which is a chapter in Hanoi. So yeah, I joined with that dream of getting myself ready for the TEDx dream. And about Toastmaster, it's when I when I joined, I, I knew that, I just knew that it is actually a global organization. It was founded in 1924. And basically people go there to practice communication and leadership skill. When it comes to communication, you can join a meeting of our of the of our speakers, Toastmasters, and then the members will deliver usually a seven minute speech. Let's say if you, depends on your goal, let's say if you join Toastmaster to have, to improve your, your presentation skill for university, or you want to be an engaging speaker, or you want to be a humorous speaker, then, you join Toastmaster and there is a different pathway for you to choose from based on your goals. And then you will study that 
there is an online pathway course and you will prepare at home a speech and you deliver that speech in an offline meeting. That is for the members. And then as a guest, you also get to speak in the impromptu speaking session where every meeting we have a meeting theme or topic. And then you will ask an impromptu speaker, you go on stage and then you speak a random question. And then you talk about that from one to two minutes. And then you receive feedback, evaluation, Toastmaster structure evaluation for that. So that is a way that we practice education. I mean, communication in Toastmaster. And also in leadership, as just as any organization, we have leadership position, like president, vice president of education, where you organize meetings and offline events for members and guests. And then we have PR, like Hue, you have spoken with, with her, like chatted with her, who is a VPPR. And then um, we organize community events and giveaway and stuff. So yeah, it's a, um, it's a very open environment where you can actually practice not only communication, but also your leadership skill. And what I love about Hanoi speakers is that it is, let's say, it is inclusively exclusive. Okay, what do you mean by that? Inclusively exclusive, what, is, what do you mean by that? I'm curious. Yeah, so when I say inclusive, it means that Inclusive, I feel like inclusive, it means that we care about our members and exclusive, it, it is, it means that we care about the guests. So let's say when I first joined Toastmaster, I, I was very lost because the club didn't have a very clear structure of, okay, if I join as a member, as a new member, what should I do first? How can I have a mentor and how can, how can I make use of the pathway online program? There was nobody to, to give me those sort of instruction. And then the meeting, there wasn't so many people. There wasn't so many guests and there wasn't so many members. Therefore, I couldn't receive as much feedback that I wanted for my speech. So I joined and then as a member of Toastmaster, I tried to make our meeting more attractive to people. So, from what I learned in hospitality, I learned that to organize the memorable events, we should try to touch as many senses of the guests as possible. So I applied that into a meeting of Toastmaster. For example, I often, I require, I require the meeting to have some tea break. And then when the guests come in, let's say I turn on some music for them to listen. So I touch somehow their senses of hearing and, and, um, and tasting, right? Tea break and music. And then when the guests arrive to the meeting, I try to organize some fun, creative and engaging speaking activities, icebreakers for them. So that is when the meeting started to change. The quality of the meeting got better. So we attracted more guests to the meeting. And the more guests join the meeting, the more people apply to be our members. So it's when, it's, I feel like it's when I try to be exclusive. I try to care more about the guests by touching those five senses of them. Then our club actually generated more revenue. So what did we do with that revenue, right? Because Toastmaster is a not-for-profit organization. So we use those revenue to improve our members, our internal members' experiences. Right. Let's say, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Carry on. Yeah. So I just want to say, so we've done with the exclusive part. So when we came to the inclusive part, where we, where we have the, the space and the money to, for the members to do anything they want. For example, if you join Toastmaster and you have this initiative to organize a mini project, we are financially capable to actually let you have those money and turn your project into reality. And an example of that is in Toastmaster, I founded a healthy club where sometimes often in the weekends, bi-weekly or monthly, we go on cycling trips and then we go on mountain trekking. And then we have some sort of like prizes for people who stay active 
in cash and in terms of food and some sort of gift, like a book or something. So that is just a mini project where I have an idea of that. And then I turn that idea into reality. So that is also an, like an example of how leadership is encouraged in Toastmaster. So yeah, to sum up my point, I mean, when I try, when we try, when the club tries to be ex exclusive, we care about the guest experience and somehow that benefits our members' experience. Yeah, and from your, so, from your presidency, Hugh, is there yeah. one key lesson that you've learned? In Toastmaster? Yes, from your presidency. Yeah, mm, a key lesson. Let's say, let me think. Can I think for a bit? Yeah, sure. The key lesson I learned in my term as a president. Okay. okay, I think that the key lesson that I learned is to always look for more. And by that, I mean, actually, before I, I, I mean, I applied for the president. And then a few months after, I wanted to, to, to drop, to cancel my application, which I did. Because somehow I felt like I have reached, I mean, the club has reached its highest stage of development. That's when I, I say, okay, there's nothing more for me to do here. The meeting quality now is it's good. Um, we attract people to joy. And so, yeah, so what's next for me when there is nothing else to improve? And then suddenly in one meeting, when we went through the guest feedback, the guests, I, I didn't remember exactly, but I think that the guest gave a very, the guest suggested a very interesting theme, which I had never thought of, right? And then suddenly I had that moment of, of enlightenment. <laughs> it's a very big word to say, but somehow I couldn't remember of another word, but I had this moment of enlightenment, of a wow moment. I was like, okay, wow, there could actually, there still is an aspect when I can improve the meeting quality, I can be more creative with the meeting theme. And that is when I realized, okay, there is still space for me to be creative, to improve the members and the guest experience. So I decided to stay as the president and continue my one year term. And throughout one year, I felt like the, the more I look, the I mean, when I changed my points of, of view, I remember I realized that I had more choices than I think. The choice to approach a project or the choice to organize an event more creatively, or the choice to mentor someone. As long as I always look for more, there is a better way to improve something. So that is my key lesson in and do you think Toastmasters has benefited you in your social life, perhaps? Social life? Yes. How, how do you define social life? I'd say social life in terms of going out with friends, meeting people for the first time in a more informal setting, so away from work. Mm, okay. So thanks to Toastmaster, I got one of the things that I appreciate about the club and with speakers is that I, I am able to build very meaningful friendships in Toastmaster. And so we, we don't just come there and then, then we public, I mean, we practice public speaking or communication, but then we also have each other get better in life. For example, uh, thanks to Toastmaster, I picked up running a year ago. And then we joined a few friends in our club. We joined a, a marathon together. And also, thanks to Toastmaster, I'm resting toward um, a full marathon very soon. So that is the first aspect of social life that I can, I can think of. And also, we... Our club, I felt like we are, we have a very healthy environment, you know, not just social life, but many members brought me some professional opportunity as well. 
Right. So, yeah. Okay. That's how I. That's the first thing I could think of is um, um, in terms of social life, the club helps me to improve my well-being, mm. specifically my, my, my physical well-being. Yeah, sure. And with that, do you think your time in the hospitality industry, you mentioned the example in Dubai of interacting with the guests in the VIP areas, do you think that benefited you in your Toastmasters practice in the help of your communication skills? So your question is, um, do, do I think that I get to apply what I learned in hospitality into Toastmaster? Yes. Is that your question? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When the, the, first, um, the first thing that I got to apply is how to organize memorable events. That's what I learned in hospitality. When, when, when we have to, when we try to touch the five senses of a guest, that's how I apply to improve the meeting quality and also the of other offline events of Toastmaster. And also another thing that I learned in hospitality, it was when I, when I worked for a social accommodation company in Saigon, actually. And we had this class of how to humanize the guest experience on Facebook. So the class name is Art of Digital Messaging. Because, you know, chatting with guests through social media like Facebook, it's um, somehow it's a very automated and robotic process. And in that class, when I was in Saigon, we learned how to analyze a guest personality and we learned how to phrase and how to talk with the guests in a more genuine and a more caring way. So I actually in Toastmaster, I organized that training out of digi digital messaging to the members so they can apply that to manage the Toastmaster Facebook page. So that is, that is another thing that I found that helped me apply that from hospitality to Toastmaster. And actually I use that, I use that digital messaging skill to apply that in my, in my work as well. Right, I see. Okay, and That's a good example. Yeah, now that we've covered the hospitality side of things and also the Toastmasters, um, I suppose coming to the end of the conversation, Hugh, you mentioned that your future aims are to move to Las Vegas, perhaps at the end of this year. Do you mind, as a summary for me, what would you like to achieve in the next couple of years within your your work, this could be hospitality or anything else. What would you like to achieve in the next couple of years? Mm. Yeah. So when I when I'm in Vegas, I'm going to to complete my bachelor in hospitality management. And besides that, because maybe you know a bit, uh, you, you're not familiar with the U.S. education. So in the U.S., we are allowed to actually have a minor or a concentration in, an ex in any aspect that we like. So in Vegas, I'm going to have a concentration in innovative restaurant management and doing a minor in entrepreneurship. I chose those two because in five, maybe five years, I wanted to run, um, let's say, some sort of three types of businesses. The first thing I wanted to do is to run a mission-driven hospitality school. And the second thing I wanted to do is a foundation where I try to have the street children to get a job and learn hospitality skill in the restaurant context. And then they will apply that in running the restaurant or running your, their future hospitality business. And so, yeah, it's um, the, an, a, a school, a foundation to have people get hospitality job and a restaurant to, to have the street children, the street kids to work and practice hospitality. So that's my, one of my future goals. Excellent. Where can we find out more about what you do online or on social media, Hugh? At the moment, I... I'm using WordPress and actually when I go to Vegas, I think I'm going to learn more about 
website, I mean, blogging and websiteing. I'm going to blog more on a regular basis. And then I'm turning the, the blog into a professional website where I can, where I can um, share more about my hospitality dream. And I had just, I mean, do, do we have time to talk a little bit more about the, the future? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Yeah, so before I, I, I mean, what I, what I share with you, before that, I had that dream of, of opening a restaurant for people from all walks of life. For example, if you are a beggar, you can still go into my restaurant or you can still actually experience the, the um, expensive food or the fine dining. And let's say every floor will have a different types of cuisine and it will be for everybody for all walks of life. And the reason that I wanted to open a foundation is because I got inspired by a photographer. He's in the US and he is planning to open a hotel. It's called the Purpose Hotel where everything you do has a purpose. For example, when Connor, when you come to the US and then you book a room in the Purpose Hotel and a part of the revenue, the room's revenue goes to the foundation. And when you sleep in a room, the, let's say the bed and the matrix, the things that the hotel, the products of the hotel uses will go toward another foundation. And even the movie selection in the room will be about humanitarian, uh, will be about the world issues to raise awareness of some social issues. So the purpose hotel, that aim of the hotel is that everything you do will make an impact even when you are asleep you make an impact so i got inspired by that that's how i wanted to to open a mission-driven hospitality institution and foundation excellent well yeah that's quite a bit covered there Hugh. i mean you've already done quite a bit in different fields and you have aims for the future and i wish you all the very best for it thank you for sharing your story work and journey with me today on the podcast and I wish you all the very best in the future, whether that be Vietnam, Vegas, or wherever in the world. Keep it going, mate. Cool. Thanks for having me.